You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. During today's podcast, we're going to discuss vaccines and whether or not they are safe for people living with celiac disease. When I first saw this topic in the news, my immediate reaction was, why on earth would a vaccine contain gluten? Now, I'm going to spit the truth out up front. Vaccines do not contain gluten. But it turns out that according to a new study, about one quarter of people with celiac disease and more than 40% of people with a gluten sensitivity do not believe that vaccines are safe for people on a gluten-free diet. And a large percentage of these folks are actually forgoing critically important vaccinations like the flu vaccine because of misinformation. To discuss this study and where some of the misconceptions are coming from, we have Dr. Benjamin Lebwal in the studio. He's the Director of Clinical Research at the Celiac Disease Center at Columbia University and very involved in the gluten-free community. Welcome, Dr. Lebwal. Thanks. I'm very happy to be part of this podcast. So before we start talking about the study, can we talk about vaccines for a minute? How are they made, and are they safe for people with celiac disease or a sensitivity to gluten? Uh, Sure. Well, I I think before even talking about safety of vaccines, it's important to recognize why even give vaccines, and and the answer there is risk of infection to prevent infections from occurring. Um, People with celiac disease um, can uh, develop an infection just like anyone else, and we all, as a society, are living longer and better lives because of widespread immunization, primarily childhood immunization. Um, and so many illnesses uh, that would fell uh, many a, ch- a child are, are now basically eradicated or close to being eradicated. Um, so we're all benefiting from that. Um, and then there are other infections uh, that can occur at any age for which we have vaccines that are imperfect, um, but clearly reduce the risk of infections developing. For example, the annual uh, influenza vaccine, um, and then also the pneumococcal vaccine. And the reason I mentioned both of those is it turns out that people with celiac disease do have a slightly increased risk of uh, being hospitalized for the flu, and also for developing uh, pneumonia from uh, the uh, pneumococcus, which is a kind of bacteria that commonly causes pneumonia. Um, And so people with celiac disease um, uh, should know about this risk when thinking about uh, ways to prevent these infections, um, primarily through vaccines. Uh, So vaccines contain weakened or killed disease antigens, fragments of bacteria, for example, in the case of pneumococcus, or fragments of virus in the case of the flu vaccine. Um, And that's what's being injected, and that allows our immune system to recognize these parts of the disease-causing organisms so that one day, if we ever encounter them in real life, our immune system will be primed, ready, so as to prevent the uh, infection from from, uh, occurring or from causing severe illness. Um, But in addition to these little fragments of disease antigens, they also have small amounts of other ingredients for various reasons, to stabilize the chemical structure, to enhance the immune response. Um, Regardless, these these ingredients, which are called excipients, are also part of the vaccine. Now, the Food and Drug Administration has a list of all excipients 
of all vaccines. This is a publicly available list you can see on the FDA's website. And there are zero vaccines that contain gluten or wheat or anything that could be interpreted as, as such on this list. So again, vaccines do not contain uh, gluten. Um, and they are absolutely safe for celiac disease patients or people with sensitivity to gluten, just like they'd be safe for the general population. So even though the vaccines don't contain gluten, is there any reason that a vaccine would affect a person with celiac differently than a person with non-celiac gluten sensitivity? In terms of safety, no. Uh, Vaccines are just as safe for people with celiac disease or gluten-related disorders as they would be for anyone else. Um, There are some interesting studies, though, that suggest that people with celiac disease um, might react more weakly to the hepatitis B vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a vaccine against the hepatitis B virus. The vaccine is typically given uh, right around birth or shortly shortly after birth. Um, Hepatitis B uh, virus is therefore largely preventable through widespread vaccination. But not everyone who gets the hepatitis B vaccine um, becomes immune to that virus. There is a small um, proportion of people who the vaccine it just doesn't work. It turns out that people with celiac disease are overrepresented in that group. And why that is, is the cause of uh, uncertainty. Um, there appear to be certain genetic factors that determine how well the immune system uh, recognizes the vaccine that's injected and then mounts the appropriate response. And so it's not unusual for a celiac patient to get checked uh, via a blood test to see if they're immune to hepatitis B virus and, it, it's, and for them to still not have the appropriate antibodies, even if they were vaccinated as a baby. So in that sense, celiac patients may react differently to certain vaccines, and that's the one example we know about. But there's no data to suggest that they um, have an increased risk of complications from vaccines. They're just as safe in celiac patients as everyone else. I've always found that research really interesting because even though they are eventually diagnosed with celiac disease, as a newborn, the disease probably wasn't active yet, or at least we don't know that it was active yet. Um, So it really makes, it, it questions, you know, at what point does celiac really begin? Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. You know, a baby getting a hepatitis B vaccine shortly after birth is not a celiac baby, right? Um, So celiac disease uh, typically occurs after the introduction of gluten, um, and so newborns don't have celiac disease. The the running theory is that the reason that that um, phenomenon is observed is because of shared genetics. People with a genetic susceptibility for celiac disease also have this genetic susceptibility to not react forcefully uh, to the vaccine. And that sort of makes sense to me. So for parents who are listening to this who have a young child who's been diagnosed with celiac, should they ask their pediatrician to check the immunity status of hepatitis B in their kids? Well, um, this is something that is done uh, after a diagnosis of celiac disease is made. Um, And uh, when uh, hepatitis B antibodies are not present, a booster or, or an additional series of injections of the hepatitis B vaccine can be offered. Um, this may be very helpful. Um, frankly, uh, it's not a huge public health problem in the United States, thankfully, because of widespread 
hepatitis B vaccination and herd immunity. There's not a lot of hepatitis B out there for someone to acquire, so the risk is relatively low, but it's a reasonable thing to check for and to vaccinate for, especially um, if someone is going to be um, going, for example, traveling to an area of the world where there's more hepatitis B, um, or um, uh, if there are any uh, concerns that this person might be at a higher risk for contracting hepatitis B. Interesting. So my next question is actually something that came up at a mom's club dinner last night. There was another mom who also has a child with celiac disease, and they had mentioned that the pediatrician had, when their child was diagnosed when they were two, that they spread out the vaccines for for their child um, at a larger intervals so that they would, um, their bodies would respond better to the vaccines, which is something that I had never heard before. Is there any truth to children with celiac disease needing a variation in the vaccine schedule? In a word, no. Um, there's, there's really no evidence that people with celiac disease uh, need to have their vaccine spaced out or given uh, at a modified schedule compared to everyone else. Um, most uh, vaccines are given at an age before a celiac disease diagnosis is typically made. It's in the first year or few years of life. Um, and so often this is a, a moot question. Um, but vaccines be, uh, scheduled being spread out is one of these um, trends that is largely frowned upon mm -hmm. by the pediatric and public health community um, because it does increase the window of infection opportunity. Um, it is often pushed as a rationale because of the notion that too many vaccines in close uh, proximity to each other is somehow bad for the child's immune system when this has been thoroughly uh, debunked. Um, there's one um, additional concern that a child with celiac disease um, might have concerning getting a, a vaccine that someone without celiac disease might not be concerned about, um, and that's the pneumococcal vaccine. There, pneumococcus, again, is a kind of bacteria that causes pneumonia, um, and there are two types of pneumococcal vaccine that are widespread um, in, used in the United States. Um, all children in the United States are universally administered one of these types. That's called a pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. It's a 13-valent uh, vaccine that's typically given sometime in the first year of life. That's universal, whether the uh, baby has celiac disease or not. But then there's a second vaccine um, that is known as the 23-valent um, vaccine. And this one is only given to certain high-risk groups in childhood. Um, typically, it's children with um, congenital heart disease or moderate asthma, difficult to control asthma, people who might be at increased risk from complications from pneumonia. And so not everyone gets that vaccine. So there, because of the, the possible increased risk of complications from pneumococcus and celiac patients, it is reasonable to offer that additional vaccine during childhood to a celiac child just as it would be to offer it to someone with asthma or those other high-risk uh, situations. There's some discretion here. Uh, gu guidelines are not very clear-cut about whether they need to have that extra pneumococcus vaccine given, but it's, again, something that can be talked about with one's doctor, and it's reasonable to, to offer. Is this something that pediatricians are generally well aware of, or is it something that parents should bring up to their pediatrician if they have a child with celiac? 
I would say it's the latter. Um, as listeners to this podcast know, and as I'm, I imagine you've heard many times, there's, there are definitely deficits of knowledge about celiac disease um, among um, the medical community. Um, some doctors know a lot more about celiac disease than others, but the celiac disease community has learned long ago that often the education uh, will come from the patient or from the family towards the doctor. So I wouldn't assume that the doctor knows about the association between celiac and, and pneumococcal pneumonia, um, and it's something that should be um, brought up by the patient. That's a very good point. And for any of our listeners who are patients at Children's National, um, you can always reach out to our team and our nurses are happy to help with these conversations. So the bottom line on vaccines is that they do not contain gluten and there is no gluten reason to forgo a vaccine, right? That is correct. Vaccines do not contain gluten, period. They are potentially life-saving and they might benefit people um, with celiac disease even more than they benefit the general population because of that increased susceptibility to certain infections. We're living longer because of vaccines. Um, it's one of the greatest public health triumphs in all of human history. Um, maybe a word on the flu vaccine. So this winter has seen a serious flu epidemic uh, in the United States. And um, we've heard that this year's influenza vaccine may be less effective than in years past. But even so, this year's flu vaccine likely decreases the risk of developing the flu if you're exposed to it or having severe complications from the flu if you're infected with it. Um, so even if the likelihood of the flu vaccine making a huge difference in any one patient is relatively small, on a population basis, an imperfect flu vaccine can still reduce its spread and ultimately save lives. It's a safe vaccine. You cannot get the flu from the flu vaccine. And the risk of a serious complication from the flu vaccine is extraordinarily rare. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go get one. It will do nothing except be a positive impact. Very good. So let's switch over and talk a little bit about the study you did. Who did you survey and what types of questions did you ask them? So we performed a survey study of individuals who subscribe to a mailing list via email that's maintained by the Celiac Disease Center at Columbia University. Anyone who comes to our center or who reaches out to us asking for more information is asked if they'd like to opt in and get regular messages from us about all sorts of updates. When we have certain research publications come out, we'll often send out those findings. Any uh, advocacy issues, we'll often send those out. Um, and also when we are trying to recruit patients for studies, um, this is one way of several different ways that we will recruit uh, patients. Not everyone on this list has to have celiac disease. It can be patients with celiac disease, patients who are avoiding gluten for other reasons, a non-celiac gluten sensitivity patient. Um, it can be family members, etc. So th that was the list that, that we studied and we invited anyone on that list to participate, to opt in to a survey about health beliefs. Um, we performed this study in the wake of some of the controversy about gluten-free Cheerios. Um, we didn't make this study all about Cheerios. What we really, you know, in, in the wake of that, what we wanted to know more about were wedge issues, issues where we thought that there might be differences 
of opinion between patients with celiac disease, but also between patients and healthcare practitioners. Um, you know, the more time one spends with patients or also goes to conferences and spends time in the gluten-free community, um, sometimes we're talking past each other and what patients are interested in might be something very different uh, when compared to what the doctors are interested in, for instance. And so we decided to ask questions about um, issues where we thought that maybe there were differences of opinion. Um, this actually, uh, the question of vaccine safety was something I had no idea about until a patient asked me and then told me that they'd read a fair amount about this online and I was, I was concerned. And so we wanted to know more about how widespread beliefs about safety of vaccines were in the celiac and gluten-free community. We took advantage of the fact that we have a heterogeneous group of people on our mailing list. So we had people with celiac disease and likely people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And so we asked people, which do you have? How were you diagnosed? Are you gluten-free? Did you have a biopsy to confirm that you have celiac disease? Are you not sure, et cetera? And ultimately, of all the respondents, we had uh, about 1,200 or close to 1,300 patients with celiac disease. And we had a little more than 200 people who were on a gluten-free diet without a diagnosis of celiac disease, whom we termed to have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And what were some of those shocking results besides the vaccines? Well, so, so that was the first thing that we were most um, troubled by was, was the vaccine uh, finding. We were surprised to find that nearly a, a third of respondents said no to the question, are vaccines safe for people with celiac disease? And we found differences between those with non-celiac gluten sensitivity and those with celiac disease. People with non-celiac gluten sensitivity were more likely to say that they're not safe. And then we asked if um, they'd been, you know, read about or been told that vaccines contain gluten or may contain gluten. And about 12% um, overall said, yeah, they'd heard that, similar in, in both groups. Um, though people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity were more likely to report that they were offered the flu vaccine but said no when offered. And that was, that was significant. But things aside from vaccines that we asked about included attitudes about, for example, genetically modified organ organisms, right, GMO foods. Mm -hmm. And people without celiac disease, people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, were more likely to report avoiding GMO foods. And they were more likely to report that they only eat organic products compared to people with celiac disease. Um, they were more likely to agree with the notion that gluten-free diets improve energy and concentration. And they were more likely to say yes to the question, is gluten bad for everyone? So people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity are more likely to agree with that than people with celiac disease. Do you think that more people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity seem to have more misinformation than those with celiac because they're not actually diagnosed with this like genetic autoimmune condition that is presented as being more serious? Well, there clearly are differences between these groups with regard to their beliefs. Um, and I can only speculate why people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity are more likely to, you know, believe that gluten is bad for everyone um, or um, that, you know, GMO foods are, are unsafe, et cetera. Um, it may have something to do with the fact that we in the medical field have not treated these patients very well. Um, patients with non-celiac gluten sensitivity may have developed a distrust in the medical establishment because we failed them. Uh, perhaps they went to seek help, and because we don't have a good test for non-celiac gluten sensitivity, 
um, some of us are dismissive uh, when when seeing such patients, which is a real shame. Um, and uh, you know that that's one possibility. Um, the other possibility is that is that there's some reverse causality. It could be that people who read uh, best-selling books that say gluten is bad for everyone, um, who then believe these books and don't have celiac, but then they go on a gluten-free diet um, and they um, don't have celiac disease, they, they might say the gluten is bad for everyone because they read it. Um, right. and, that's, and it's not that having non-celiac gluten sensitivity makes you believe that, it's the other way around. One, one thing that we have observed in other studies that we've published is that people who are um, avoiding gluten without a diagnosis of celiac disease are more likely than celiac patients to report additional food sensitivities. Very commonly, people who avoid gluten also avoid soy um, and avoid dairy, um, and some avoid corn and, um, and other products. And actually, many um, run into the problem of running out of things to, to, that, that they consider safe. Um, and often that's when patients will come to us for, for help and helping to tease out uh, apparent food intolerances. And so it could be that, that you know, the experience of feeling ill or, or the notion that multiple ingredients are toxic might be informing attitudes about organic food and, and GMOs. Right. Well, it's definitely something that I hope we learn more about in the future. So now, how do you think we can use the results from this study to improve the health of people living with celiac disease or a sensitivity to gluten today? I think one takeaway of this study is that um, people who avoid gluten as a community, they're not a monolith. Uh, there are at least two distinct populations, um, people with celiac disease and people who don't have celiac disease who are avoiding gluten. And they're, they're coming to us they may very well have a distinct set of concerns, attitudes, and beliefs. Um, and so we should not assume that um, you know, the patient community is a monolith. Ultimately, we should consider each individual on his or her own terms and not make assumptions about any individual's beliefs. But I think it is helpful to know that certain beliefs are more common in certain communities. Um, but our goal isn't just to point out false beliefs and scold. It really is not. It's to promote engagement with patients, uh, to ally with them about what their long-term goals are. If we hear erroneous ideas being propagated, to identify them, call them out firmly, and then put forth evidence-based recommendations, but ultimately with the goal of doing right by these patients and to promote public health. I think that's really great, and I think it's wonderful that you learned about the vaccine issue from a patient who had read something on the internet and then went and really looked into where this is stemming from and how it's really affecting a lot of people. So great work on that. Well, I, I, you know, in, in general, what I, what I tell um, mentees who are going into research, I tell them, you know, um, ideas need to come from somewhere, and some of the best research ideas come from patients. Um, and so don't see clinical obligations and seeing patients as something that pushes back against, you know, your research efforts. They should help each other. Your research should help your patients, but your patients should help foster your research. And I think this is also a good reminder to any parents or patients who are listening to the podcast that if there's things that you see that you're not sure about or that you question, to, to ask your doctor that there really aren't stupid questions and that you never know your question that you think sounds silly might actually be the next great research study. Exactly. 
Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Lebwall, for joining us today. This was such great information that I know will be very helpful to our listeners. And I very much hope that it calms any fears about gluten contamination in vaccines and that if you haven't gotten a flu vaccine yet this year, that you'll go out and you'll get one this week. So I hope that everyone enjoyed today's podcast and we will talk to you again next time. 